think about what you've done. <laughs> Just another day in Beacon Hills where there's murder, 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 coyotes, murder. <laughs> I could just explode into glitter. So you were telling me it was a room full of nerds that were writing this These hands, people. They've seen greatness. Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kate Colvin, and I'm joined by Will Wallace and Calissa Mullis. Every week, we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week, we're talking about season three, episode 16, Illuminated. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, Alpha and Beta. The beta section is for first-timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, Alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series, as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the Alpha and Beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives, like early access to episodes, full moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash RTBH podcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. This week's episode is titled Illuminated. It was written by Alyssa Clark and directed by Russell Mulcahy. In it, Chris works on a theory about the shadowy beings that attacked Isaac. But in the meantime, those beings find new targets. Scott and Stiles help Kira get into evidence lockup at the sheriff's station, and Scott and Kira learn about each other's supernatural identities. Ethan tries to impress Danny by setting up the loft for a blacklight party in Derek's absence. At the party, Scott moves on with Kira, Allison moves on with Isaac, Lydia moves on from Aiden, and Stiles has a terrifying revelation. Our favorite quote this week is an exchange between Stiles and Caitlin. Stiles says, I thought you liked girls. And Caitlin says, I do like girls. Do you? Stiles says, absolutely. Caitlin says, great. Stiles says, so you also like boys? She says, absolutely. Do you? And then Stiles has a long pause of, um, <laughs> and a look. It's a beautiful look. An inquisitive, pondering look. Do I? Look. He's like, well, I like a guy. <laughs> Styles, I've been to the bisexual panic island. Bisexual panic room, I believe it's called. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the one. And don't worry, you'll, you'll find your way out. You'll get there. Our honorable mention comes from Stalinsky, who says, To be honest, I haven't believed a word Styles has said since he learned how to speak. Styles like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Styles this tracks. Like, you're right, you're right. <laughs> this tracks. And our last honorable mention comes from Lydia, who says, Mr. Harris used to teach biology until his new occupation, human sacrifice. <laughs> that is a pithy description of 3A. It is very, I mean, murder is bad, but he was kind of a dick. So <laughs> justified, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> The episode begins on Halloween night as a group of children run through a Beacon Hills neighborhood and stomp on jack-o'-lanterns. Oh, I love this opening. Halloween! Yes. The best holiday. That's accurate. Truly the most wonderful time of the year. No question. 
Mysterious figures emerge from the shadows, marching in unison. That's why you shouldn't be little shits, kids. Some ghost ninjas might come and fuck up your day. They must have a lot of time on their hands if they're going after some rando kids. Yeah, and the slow motion looks so good. And the chittering sound effect sounds great. At the Argent's apartment, Allison and Chris finally get into the locked room where they find Isaac freezing and shaking on the floor. Yeah, he was definitely attacked by a Dementor. You'd think after all that time in the freezer, he'd be used to it. Oh, wow. no. Go stand in the corner, Will. Time out. Time out for Will Wallace. Think about what you've done. Uh, good times. Chris hits Isaac to get him to shift and speed along his recovery. Probably been wanting to do that anyway. God, stop it. He is actually probably one of the few people who don't necessarily know about Isaac's abusive background. That's true. Will actually shared one of the earliest drafts of this episode and the scene was very different. So in the original script, they find him and Allison points out that he's freezing and Arjun actually leads down and picks Isaac up, which I would have liked to have seen him carry him. He says, turn on the shower. We have to warm him up now. Allison says, warm water can cause a heart attack in a hypothermic person. You taught me that. And Arjun says, for humans, yes. But if he was a human, he'd be dead. So then they put him in a hot shower. And Arjun says, hotter, the heat will trigger the healing process. I actually like that a lot better. Isaac describes it once he actually comes to saying, when they grabbed me, it was like a sort of ice went through me and I couldn't move. That's cool. I do like that. I can see why this was changed moving forward because it's a lot of business to Mm -hmm. get to the same moment. Although it's so cool seeing the process of getting in there and and all that. But then also I can also break his arm. He'll start healing. You know, that would have been fun to keep. Or at least the description of what he felt would have been fun to keep. I also like that whenever Isaac's describing what they look like, it says, Allison looks from Isaac to her father, sees something on his face that she's never seen before. Terror. And then she asks who they are. Interesting. He says, I might have seen them before once a long time ago and very far from here. And then he says, they might want me. But instead of like it really cutting from there, she goes on about like, oh, we have to protect you. And she offers to come with him when he says that he needs to go get answers. And he said, not this time. And she said, we promise no more secrets. And he says, I know, but I need to move quickly and quietly. If the guy I'm looking for gets even a hint that someone's coming, he'll vanish and then we'll never find him. But one of my absolute favorite parts is it says when they agree are just as good. Now get him into some of my dry clothes so that they have to put Isaac in Archie's clothes. Oh, I love it. <laughs> That's adorable. I feel like, you know, there's that term crocodile tears. I feel like they make crocodile promises, you know, <laughs> when they're like, no more secrets, right? Right. Wink. Yeah, they, no. And they, they both actually say, mean yeah. no more secrets. Yeah, they, yeah. And it's just like, they'll do this like three times. And it's like, I didn't believe you the first time. <laughs> see you, how you were saying like you know you feel like it's a lot to get to the same point but I do like the idea of just having a different way to trigger the healing process where it's yeah. like because we've seen them do that many yep. times well and we see it in this episode too because Isaac does the same thing to Ethan which in the script he still does that he just says this will trigger his healing process like the shower did for me ah. instead of saying like just exactly the same way yeah so I don't know just a little on screen variation Yeah, Yeah. no, that would have been good. Isaac describes his attackers to Allison and Chris. There were five of them all in black. They were goths, is what he's saying. They kept talking about how The Cure was the greatest band ever. (laughs) I mean, they're not wrong. (laughs) Their faces were covered. They had eyes like fireflies, and they came out of the shadows. Chris reacts to this last description, but when Allison asks if he knows what it means, he says he isn't sure. Chris is like, that means nothing to me. Gotta go. Bye! (laughs) 
Chris asks Allison and Isaac not to tell the others about this for the next 24 hours. He thinks there's a reason why they didn't kill Isaac because they were after Chris and not Isaac. And I think you've been sharing clothes with Peter. Look at that V-neck. Don't tell the others about the deep V cut either. We're not ready to tell the world about our love yet. People just wouldn't understand. If you use the word love, neither would Peter. Burn. Uh, <laughs> if only they had a better ship name than Piss. <laughs> Rude. Uh, Peter prefers the term bone buds, actually. I'll bet. Chris goes into his office, opens a box, and puts together two broken pieces of a demonic mask that resembles the masks of the mysterious figures. That is such a nice shot where his eye is framed by the mask. Oh, yes. Absolutely. This is the last moment before the theme sequence. This is the remix version of the theme song, which I hate. It's here because of the DJ in the episode. Yeah, I don't like it either. I mean, I think it's fine just for the one episode, something different that's specific for it. Yeah, why mess with perfection? At the sheriff's station, Raphael has a difficult time interrogating Styles, Scott, Lydia, and Kira after the Barrow incident. So this interrogation was really different, but super funny in the original draft. I included part of it here for Will to read for us. Agent McCall says, so what happened to Barrow? Styles replies, uh, like I said before, he grabbed a live power cable and turned himself into a human piece of extra crispy. McCall <laughs> says, he didn't try to hurt you? Kira says, well, he grabbed me, threw me into a trunk, dragged me to a transformer and tied me up. But no, he didn't electrocute me. Stolinsky gives her a reassuring smile. Stolinsky says, it's okay, Kira. Your parents are on the way to take you home. Agent McCall glares at the interruption. He turns back. Agent McCall, what were you doing there? Lydia says, saving Kira. She smiles at him. He doesn't smile back. Agent McCall <laughs> says, how did they find you? Kira's eyes scan the desk, landing on clear evidence bag with Barrow's phone in it. Flash cut. Barrow snapping pictures of her. Kira forces her eyes away from the phone. Kira says, lucky guess? Agent McCall, <laughs> how did you find her? Styles says, Lydia's psychic. McCall glares at him. Styles just looks back, unblinking. Agent McCall asks, you're psychic? Lydia says, um, kinda. But yes, that's how we found her. McCall runs his hand through his hair, exasperated. Agent McCall says, I'm going to need a written statement. Styles grabs a piece of paper, scrawls something on it. He pushes it across to Agent McCall. It reads, you're an idiot. Stalinsky tries to suppress a smile. <laughs> wow, that was fun. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was very different. Yeah. Very I would have different. loved to have seen him writing, You're an idiot, passing across to him. Yeah, that would have been really good. It's interesting that they brought up Lydia being psychic mm -hmm. in the original version, which doesn't come up at all in the yeah. version that aired. And I can kind of see it either way, you know, that yeah. they might have said she's psychic because they're trying to stay as close to the truth as possible. But then at the same time, I can see why they would try to find any way not to bring that up. Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like his style still just with him because he hates him as he should. So I feel like it's like, oh, well, Lydia's psychic. That's how we found him. Yeah. And Lydia just kind of has to like go along with, yeah, I'm psychic. Yeah, but he has said that to other people and was True. serious those times. When Styles explains that they knew Barrow would take Kira to the power substation because Barrow used to be an electrical engineer, Raphael says that's quite a deduction. Styles says he got it from his pops, winking at Stolinsky. Imagine him doing finger guns, finger guns, finger guns at his dad. <laughs> when Raphael catches Stolinsky looking somewhat amused by this, Stolinsky tells Styles just to answer Raphael's questions. Then we'll go out for ice cream because I'm proud of you, son. 
Jolinski says to Stiles, I imagine. Raphael is suspicious of their answers. Jolinski says he hasn't believed anything Stiles has said since he could talk. Yep. And I love how Stiles just nods at that, like, yeah, that's fair. Raphael asks Kira if she remembers the incident the same way as Scott and Stiles. As Kira prepares to answer, the others all lean in. No peer pressure here. I mean, surely Kira's not going to bring up how the electricity got sucked up into her hands or whatever. They have nothing to worry about here. She has at least as much to try to keep secret. Yeah, I wouldn't think there was any danger of her contradicting their story. As they're leaving, Raphael warns Scott that if even half of their story is true, then he needs to be extremely careful. A mass murderer being controlled by someone is even worse than just dealing with a mass murderer. Then he tells Scott to go home since it's a school night. Then he pats himself on the back saying, I'm such a good dad. Yeah, he's going to come in here and try to parent after, what, 16 years? Come on. Yeah. Well, in the original draft, Scott actually tells his dad to go back to San Francisco saying no one needs him in Beacon Hills after Raphael throws additional shade at the sheriff. And I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah, I wish that had been left in there because not only would it have been really dramatic, but I I also just like the idea of Scott being as upset by him constantly talking shit about Stolinski as Styles is. Yeah, Raphael asked why they didn't like wait for help to arrive. And Scott's like, well, because he could have hurt Kira. I could take the chance. And then Nicole throws a look at Stolinski saying, I can understand why you think that way based on past police response. It's like, ugh, someone punched that guy. Also in the original script, there's an extra scene between Scott and Kira. Scott is close to confessing that he is also a supernatural creature, but before he can, Kira's parents come to pick her up at the station. Mr. Yukimura calls Scott Kira's lucky charm for once again saving her. Adorable. Oh, I love that. Me too. Why didn't we keep that? I don't know. (laughs) At home, Kira lights a candle and stands in front of her mirror. Yes, lighting. Kira takes a photo of herself with the flash on. She's troubled to see a fiery aura around herself in the photo. Oh, this looks so cool. You yes, get that it aura does. cleansed. Get yeah. the crystals up in there. <laughs> Despite the lack of power, Beacon Hills High School doesn't have a day off. Seems like a valid reason for a day off to me, but I guess it's just another day in Beacon Hills where there's murder, 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 coyotes, yeah. murder. Yeah. <laughs> Styles finds a key ring in his locker and isn't sure how it got there. Kira avoids Scott in the hallway. Scott tries to go after her, but Styles stops him, saying he should stay away until they figure out whether she's yet another Beacon Hills psycho killer monster. So the dialogue is drastically different in the original draft, but one particular exchange I enjoyed was Scott says, Styles, a deranged mass murderer kidnapped and almost killed her after getting a message on the school's blackboard that she was his target. Someone wants her dead. And Styles says, Probably because she's evil. I think that should be our point of departure. Let's just assume everyone is evil until they don't try to murder us. Sure, Kira seems small and cute, like a harmless woodland creature, but I'll remind you that there's been a rash of pretty girls in Beacon Hills that turned out to be psychotic killers. It's kind of trending right now. (laughs) (laughs) I like all that. He's not wrong. (laughs) I mean, honestly, they go to a a school where if any any new person shows up, you're just like, just stay back like 10 feet for (laughs) a whole year, please. And then we'll see after that how it goes. Just to be sure. (laughs) Yeah. Also, whenever Styles calls out coach, it's actually just a double negative in the original script instead of a triple negative. Ah. After he says that, coach says, I'm positive there's not enough aspirin on the planet that can handle both my hangover and your mouth still empty, so put a cork in it. Nice. (laughs) I kind of liked the triple negative, though. Yeah. Yeah. Scott thinks Kira could be like him. Styles reminds Scott that she walked through 1.21 gigawatts of electricity, so she's not like him. 
We see you back to the future reference. In the locker room, Ethan overhears Danny on the phone with a venue he's booked for a Halloween blacklight party. The event is canceled due to the blackout. Ethan offers to help Danny find a new venue. Aiden approaches after Danny leaves and teases Ethan for getting a little too into the high school spirit. Ethan replies that Scott cares about people, not power. So getting close to people Scott cares about is a smart way to try to get into his pack. In the original script, Ethan outright says the reason he wants to help is in order to get Danny back. Aiden says, why do you care about some stupid party? Ethan replies, because Danny cares, and I care about getting Danny back. I know it's hard for you to understand, but doing nice things for people is how you show you care about them. So I'm going to try and help Danny find a new venue for his party. You can help if you want to. Wow, I just want to pull out one sentence from that. I know it's hard for you to understand, but doing nice things for people is how you show you care about them. Burn! Well, he's a sociopath, so. I feel like there's more of a through line in the original draft of Aiden working on becoming a good guy or trying to show that he can be a good guy. Gotcha. After he gets called out by Lydia and his brother, kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Aiden turns around and applies that thinking himself. That's a fun transition from Aiden in the locker room with Ethan to Aiden in the classroom next to Lydia. Lydia's mom, Natalie, is their new science teacher since Harris is, you know, no longer with us. R.I.P. But this interaction between Lydia and Natalie is so cute. I love their mother-daughter dynamic. It is great. However, I was distracted by the fact that they're talking about being in biology class, yet Lydia has a physics textbook. So it's biology for everyone else, but Lydia's in physics because she's so advanced. She just sits with them. Ah, I can see that. Yeah. (laughs) No, it doesn't make any sense. I'm just throwing out bullshit. (laughs) Hey, that could work. That could totally work. In the original scene, instead of it taking place in science class with Natalie as the teacher, it occurs in Mr. Yukamura's class, and it starts with him giving a lesson on blackouts. I'll throw to you, Will, to read because you a history nerd. Mr. Yukamura says, blackouts have affected history in a number of important ways. Because of the imposed blackouts during World War II, astronomer Walter Bott was able to use the Mount Wilson Observatory in Los Angeles to see faint stars in the Andromeda Galaxy. This led him to recalculate the size of the universe to twice as big as was previously thought. Mr. Yukamura can see he's not keeping the class's attention. And nine months after the 1965 blackout in New York, the number of births were reported to have increased dramatically. What do you think about that, Mr. Solinsky? Style says that people can't put condoms on in the dark. Mr. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Yukimura, smiling, says, yes, maybe it means that touch is a more important sense than sight because that is not an actual historical fact. The birth rate was well within normal statistical fluctuations. History is about sorting fact from fiction. That's fun. Yeah, I mean, I would have died hearing Styles respond with that people can't put condoms on in the dark. You got to give it to Mr. Yukimura for thinking on his feet when he realized he wasn't keeping their attention. Yeah, that was cool. But he explains to Aiden that she helped save someone's life last night and it felt good. All she can see when she looks at Aiden is how he helped kill Boyd. Lydia doesn't want to be with him anymore because he's not just a bad boy. He's a bad guy. I get it, but I don't love that line. I do love that line. Okay, maybe it's just me. Was that one in the original? It was. Okay. I think it was like slightly different, but still mostly the same. There's actually an exchange that I liked before she goes into that. Aiden says, what if it gets uncanceled? Do you want me to pick you up to take her to the party? And she said, why would I want that? And he says, I don't know. So we could go together. And Lydia says, look, Aiden, we've had some fun in coach's office, the counselor's office, behind the school, in as the cafeteria. <laughs> Lydia smiles at the memory, but we're not going to dinner, not going to parties, not doing any of that, she says. Well, maybe we could. 
Aiden says, but he says, I don't think so. It's obvious to everyone, but I have a thing for bad boys, but you're not just a bad boy. You're a bad guy. And I'm not into bad guys. I kind of like it with the extra context. As yeah. Me too. Everyone knows I like bad boys. Yeah, definitely. I feel like leaving that in would have improved it because there's no point where she had said, oh, you're such a bad boy. So it felt like, oh, she's been sitting on this pun light, if you will, (laughs) for a while and just decided to use it as opposed to having that lead in and then the turn of phrasing. I do appreciate a little bit more of the original context. Aiden pivots to Danny, who's sitting behind them and says he knows a place where Danny can have his party. Meanwhile, Derek leaves his loft. The boy is looking good in blue. Yes, he is. He's experimenting with a little more color. I feel like he's just a little bit lighter this season because of how 3A ended. I think the destruction of his new pack took him to a new low, and he kind of got to a get busy living or get busy dying point. He doesn't have as much of a death wish anymore as he did previously. Also, my headcanon is that he didn't like the burden of being an alpha, that it didn't suit him as a born beta. And although he had his reasons for killing Peter and becoming an alpha in the first place, none of those reasons was purely because he just wanted to be an alpha. But then he comes back to his crash loft after the party. He's like, F- it, I'm going back to black. <laughs> in a hallway at Beacon Hills High School during their lunch period, Scott sits down next to Kira. Uh, she's wearing her Marvel leggings. I love Kira's style. Yes, Barbara did a great job. Her style is part of her personality. That's what makes Barbara's work so good. And the entire wardrobe department. Yeah, all the clothes are great, but Kira's are the closest to what I would have actually worn in high school, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Kira says she doesn't want to talk about it. So Scott pivots to their upcoming math test. But it turns out that Kira actually does want to talk about it. She says she's going to show him something no one but Barrow has ever seen. You showed Barrow your boobs? <laughs> Rude. Kira, Kira tells Scott to take a picture of her on his phone with a flash on. He does, and he sees the same fiery aura Kira saw earlier. Apparently, it just started showing up a couple months ago. Somehow, Barrow knew about it, and that's why he took pictures of her on her own phone, which the police now have in evidence. Scott concludes that they need to get her phone back. Because the police will be hella confused. Yeah, more confused than suspicious, I think. They'd be like, you should maybe put this in a bag of rice. It might have gotten wet or something. (laughs) Yeah. Or even honestly, like, do you remember the photos we took with Sahar where we did like the weird lighting tricks and stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like something like that, where you can't remember something about the exposure or whatever, but you can like exposure. Yeah. Yeah. Like something like that, where just managed to do like some fun tricks on her phone. I definitely wouldn't be like, ah, supernatural creature. Yes. Right. Yeah. Fox girl. Yeah. Back at the loft, three costumed trick-or-treaters approach Derek. I like how they're trick-or-treating a strange guy at his car in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> like a little weird parking lot in the industrial area. These kids go hard. It's the blue shirt. Derek looks all normal core now. Yeah. <laughs> normal core, I love that. Derek gets a bag of candy out of his car. Okay, can we please talk about Derek Hale going to the grocery store and buying candy to give to trick-or-treaters? It's so good. I mean, are we sure that he was going to give them to trick-or-treaters or maybe he just wanted to get some Reese cups for himself? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> After giving each child some candy, Derek wolfs out at them, sending them running away in fear. Ah, self-satisfied Derek is the best Derek. It is. He gets to feel that so infrequently. I know. In the original script, it says... Derek glares, causing the smallest kid to step back. Derek slowly reaches into his car and pulls out a large bag of candy. He tears it open and gives a generous handful to each kid. They cheer. Derek says, a scram, but hey, be careful out there. Yeah, so he doesn't wolf out on them. He actually is all like, okay, but be careful, kiddos. (laughs) So cute, my heart. 
I love it. I think it would have been fun to have kind of a combination of that. Derek glares, gives them their handful of candy, and then they're just sort of standing there expectantly. And he's like, okay, be careful out there. And they're just sort of standings. Yeah. You know, kind of like maybe we could get another scoop or something. And then he wolfs out and they run away. Yeah. Yeah. That would have actually been super duper cute. Aww. Some kid looks at his candy. He's like, oh, in Hill Valley, they give us full bars. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then he roars at them. <laughs> the shadowy figures who attacked Isaac materialize next to Derek. Oh, this looks so good. It looks good but i will say it's so sad to see that happen immediately after him having a moment of self-satisfaction yeah, yeah. anything good happens to derek we gotta take it away immediately yeah In the original script it actually says like the kids are rounding the corner and one of them hears the sounds of struggling and a terrifying growl but she just like runs off into the darkness she's like i'm not here to help <laughs> i'm no hero maybe if it had been full bars <laughs> uh i actually kind of would have liked that because we see the demon ninjas so to speak descend on people more than once so it's not like we'd really be missing out on anything yeah we're not seeing it happen to Derek when it pretty much looks the same as it had looked before I would have kind of liked it happening off screen and the point of view of a child hearing it yeah would have been scary especially right after Derek had growled at them because then it's one of those there's always a bigger monster type yeah. moments. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I didn't think about it like that, but that would be cool. In Derek's loft, however, things are going well. Ethan and Aiden get a generator going so that Danny can have his blacklight party. Okay, there's an exchange in the original script that I really wish they would have kept. Danny says, this space is amazing. Where's the guy who owns it? And Ethan says, he's out of town. Don't worry, he's super chill. <laughs> and then Aiden just like gives them a thumbs up <laughs> it's funny because we know he's talking about Derek yeah and Derek's not super and chill Derek has no chill <laughs> meanwhile Styles drives to the sheriff's station with Scott and Kira then gives them the key cards they'll need to get into evidence uh it's great because this looks like it's the outside of a building but actually it's just on a stage they're not outside a building at night they're inside on a sunny day Trickery. Yes. Wow. I didn't realize that. That is fun. Movie magic. Styles cloned the key cards using an RFID emulator. Okay, quick note, Wolfie's RFID is radio frequency identification, which basically uses electromagnetic fields to identify objects like key cards and many credit cards. If your credit card has a chip that allows vendors to enable contactless payments, unfortunately, it also allows data thieves to use RFID scanners to steal your credit card information. If you have a credit card with an RFID chip, which many do, it's important for you to protect your card from scanners. You can do this by wrapping it in a conducting material like aluminum foil or by getting an RFID blocking sleeper wallet. Take care of your financial safety out there, Wolfies. The more you know. <laughs> I did wonder what that meant. So thank you, Kate. Mm -hmm. Scott wonders if that's even worse than stealing. Style says it's smarter. <laughs> and he's not wrong. So, okay, in the original script, whenever Styles pulls up next to them, Kira pulls on a ski mask. <laughs> that's adorable. And Style says, you two planning on knocking over a bank later, maybe stealing the Hope Diamond? <laughs> <laughs> that is cute. Kira takes Scott aside and asks whether Scott told Styles about the pictures. He admits they told Styles she had naked pictures on her phone, and that's why she wanted to get in and delete them. He holds his breath while he waits for her reaction, but she thinks that was a good idea. I 
Love this fit. It's so cute and perfect. They have great chemistry. Tyler's delivery of naked pictures is adorable. I love how much Scott didn't want to say the words naked pictures. And the beat of silence before she says good idea has great timing. It's just a perfect little moment. Yeah. I mean, we've seen him in the presence of a condom before, and he like just had to press his face into a door because he was so embarrassed. So this tracks. <laughs> Styles warns Scott and Kira that if they get caught, Styles is leaving them for dead because his dad's under investigation, so he can't get caught with them. Scott agrees, and he and Kira go inside to where Kira's phone is being kept. Hey, can we pick up some cocaine while we're here? Uh, going to a party later? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Unfortunately, Kira's phone is dead, and there's no power to charge it up with. Kira wants to take the phone, but Scott says they can't because it would make the sheriff's department look bad. Okay, but couldn't you just take the SIM card out? Yeah, I think. Oh, wait a minute. Actually, I don't think the SIM card deals with that. I think pictures are stored locally on the phone itself. Yeah, they are. They find a charger in a desk drawer and plug it into Raphael's laptop. To Scott's surprise, Raphael's background on the laptop is a picture of baby Scott. Good thing he has this Nokia charger here. Okay, that photo is so cute. I could die, baby posy. Oh, yeah. That's with his actual dad, which is why the head's cropped out. Yeah, a baby photo with Dr. Fenris would be confusing. <laughs> Poor Scott's like, my dad has a photo of me. I guess he really does love me, even though he's been a shit father all my life. Dad walks into a bar because it was set so low. <laughs> <laughs> Kira points out that he looks happy in the original script. But like, I mean, he's a baby. Oh. Of course he looks happy. <laughs> nice. That picture is so cute. I feel like I need to reiterate it before <laughs> yes. we move on. It's so cute. I could just explode into glitter. <laughs> Styles studies the mysterious key he found in his locker until he's interrupted by the arrival of Raphael's car. He tries texting Scott, but Scott doesn't answer, so Styles gets out of the car. Did Raphael not notice the very recognizable Jeep right there? He is ironically a really bad investigator. So despite saying he'd leave him to dead, we knew he wasn't going to. Styles comes flailing into the sheriff's station to cut Raphael off before he can go into the office, and he attempts to stall him. Scott sees Raphael through the window in the door. Dude, Scott, text him you're drunk somewhere and need to be picked up. Styles tells Raphael that he came to the sheriff's station to talk to him about his theories regarding Barrow. Since a message was left for Barrow at the school, the person who left the message must be at the school. Now, the theory that Styles presents here is different in the original script. In that version, Styles says, I might know why Barrow was targeting Kira. McCall looks at Styles intently. Agent McCall says, really? Styles says, most serial killers and mass murderers don't have an education past high school, right? Agent McCall says, true. Styles says, and since Kira's dad is a teacher, maybe Barrow was playing out some revenge fantasy about a troubled high school experience. Even as he speaks the word, Styles knows they sound inane. Agent McCall says, Styles, did you come up with that on your very own, or have you and your dad been developing this brilliant profile all along? Styles says, nope, came up with that one all by my lonesome. Raphael's such a dick. During this conversation, Kira's charging phone powers up. Raphael agrees, saying they started looking for links between Barrow and Beacon Hill's high school faculty and students last night. It was Stillensky's idea, his one useful suggestion. Styles' demeanor changes instantly. He says that he knows the real reason Raphael doesn't like Stillensky. Because Stilinski knows something that Raphael doesn't want him to know. And Styles knows it too. I was on the edge of my seat for all of this part of the conversation. The tension was palpable. 
I love Dark Styles. He will f- you up. In the original draft, Styles doesn't get the upper hand, unfortunately. Styles says, I have another theory. Agent McCall replies, Styles, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for you, and I don't have time for the bumbling fool playing sheriff, a fool whose footsteps you seem destined to follow. And although I currently can't kick him out of this building, I certainly can you. So let me give you a federal escort to the door. He grabs Styles' arm and leads him away. Scott stands perfectly still, anger boiling on his face, having heard every word his father said to Styles. I would have been so pissed if we did not get Styles having up that dig in and he, he just like got thrown out of there. Yeah. No, I love that he rattles Raphael. Yeah, it's a way more interesting scene. Also, it just seems out of character that Styles wouldn't say anything else. Yeah. And I think it would have been more interesting if they were going to do it this way. If Styles realizes if he just shuts up and lets him get him out of the building, the other two can escape. But then yeah. Scott says something later because he does hear it. And like, you know, he really wants to like go off on his father. Oh, But yeah. we don't get that because he doesn't, Scott doesn't have another interaction with his father during this episode. Right. So the fact that Scott heard doesn't show in any way. So I feel like, yeah, it just doesn't work because of that. Yeah. Well, I suppose if he had said something, related to what Raphael said in that moment, he would have been giving away that he was present. I mean, Styles would have just had to repeat it to him later. Oh, and just say, Styles told me about yeah, how you said exactly. this. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Raphael's visibly shaken and tells Styles to go home since there's a curfew. Luckily, the distraction was enough for Kira to delete the pictures, sneak out with Scott, and meet back up at Styles' Jeep where Styles waits. Kira is amped up by what just happened because she's never done anything like that before. Scott and Styles certainly have, you know, once or twice. Yeah, Styles has just had those cards copied because he's a nice, innocent, law-abiding citizen. Totally. There's such an adorable Kira moment in the original draft. Kira says, that was amazing. I've never done anything like that before. I tried stealing a candy bar once, but I ended up buying two out of guilt. (laughs) Adorable. Scott and Kira get on Scott's bike and he hands her his helmet. Safety first, kids. Instead of taking Kira home, they decide to go to the blacklight party. Kira, smile here. She's adorable. As Isaac and Allison arrive at the loft, the party is popping, a crowd dancing while decked out in fluorescent body paint. So Kate, we can definitely say that the high school parties we went to were like this, right? You went to high school parties? No, that's the joke. Wolfies, the joke isn't that this is more elaborate and fun than real high school parties. It's that Calissa and I didn't go to parties. Get it? I don't know what y'all are talking about. This is totally how the theater kids partied at my school. I mean, I have heard that theater kids threw the best parties. Oh, yeah. Isaac tells Allison that Derek can never know. I can tell you, it was ungodly hot on that stage. For dialogue scenes, you can't have AC running. Then, with all the bodies in there, it was rough. Man, that poor person who's dressed head to toe as a skeleton then must have sucked. Yeah. Oof. I do love Isaac, though. Don't tell dad. Oh my God, dad can't find out. <laughs> he can never He can know. never know. <laughs> Ethan makes sure Danny is happy with the party. Then he gets his time to be happy. He presents Danny to the body paint artist who asks whether Danny wants his face or body painted. Ethan tears Danny's shirt off and answers, body. As the artist gets ready to start, Ethan gets called away to grab more ice. I think it's funny that Ethan decided to do bloody claw marks across his chest with the body paint. That's like pretty on the nose. Yeah. He's trying to process his guilt through go. body paint. <laughs> Fit hot guys have problems too. Anyway, while Danny gets painted behind him, one of the shadowy figures flickers in and out of visibility. 
I like the flashing bit. Yeah, it was a little bit Tyler Durden and Fight Club. Okay, this party does look super fun. Yeah, but I wouldn't stay at a party that didn't have AC. Oh, absolutely not. I'd be like, I'm hot. I'm going home. Bye. Yeah, I'd be in there like taking the ice bath. (laughs) Speaking of ice, Ethan finds a bag of ice in a back room, but the hanging bulb keeps flashing and going out. Behind Ethan and unbeknownst to him, a shadowy figure is looming, only temporarily illuminated. Oh, that looked great. Yeah, I love that shit. More figures swarm Ethan and the door slams shut. The sound they make reminds me of the Predator. Guys, we just watched Prey and it was so good. Yeah, everybody watch it immediately. So good. Soon after, Styles, Scott, and Kira arrive at the party, with Styles in the middle of telling Scott about the mysterious key he found. He doesn't know how it got there, and he confirmed it isn't his dad's either. Scott asks if Styles wants to leave to go figure that out, but a girl approaches him, plants a kiss right on him, and wishes him a happy Halloween, so Styles decides they can figure out the key thing later. It's Zelda Williams! Scott takes Kira's hand, and Kira's delighted. She thanks him for everything. Aww. They're so cute. I ship it so hard, man. The moment turns a little awkward when Scott locks eyes with Allison across the room. Sensing Scott's uncertainty, Kira pulls her hand from Scott's and hunches in on herself. But then Allison gives Scott a supportive smile. Scott turns to take Kira's hand once more, but he can't find her. Scanning the crowd, he flashes his eyes red and with his alpha vision, he spots Kira. She's standing alone, uncomfortably, surrounded by that same fiery aura that was in the photo. Oh, this is so cool. And I love how when she turns to the side, you can see the fox's muzzle. Uh, I wish you could see ears too. Maybe she, because she's nervous, her ears are down. Like, like a worried doggo. Aww. So cute. In the original script, it says that her tail actually wraps around her protectively. Oh, yeah, I like that idea. What an adorable image. So in the original script, the girl who's doing the body paint says, those red eyes are amazing. Where'd you get them? And Scott smiles and says, sorry, one of a kind. Cute. True alpha brag much? (laughs) Right. Also, I just liked the way that they described the moment that Allison Scott locked eyes. It says, Allison gives Scott a small, awkward smile. No jealousy, just a letting go. That's sweet. Yeah. Styles runs into the girl who kissed him again, who says her name is Caitlin. He realizes she's the same Caitlin whose girlfriend was killed last season by the Duroc. I like her blacklight look. It's cool. So in the original script, this wasn't Caitlin, but a girl named Rin. Did you suggest oh. that name, Will? I do not remember, but we'll say yes, because your <laughs> sister's name is Ren. You ha- did at one point, like, text asking me, like, about using her name. Yeah, that might be it. And it just got changed because... But this was before you even tried to use my name, so... I honestly don't remember. Dude, you had a character making out styles using my name. Ugh, Wow. I would have probably made like a plaque in your honor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, there's already a character named Kate on the show. Sad I did not want to see Kate making out with Styles. <laughs> no. That would have been scary. She's eating his face. Since Styles remembers about Caitlin's girlfriend who was killed, he asks her if she's doing okay. Caitlin says, yes, she's really drunk. And she invites him to dance. He accepts. Hey, Will, who's the DJ in this episode? It's totally... The bloody beetroots, not dead mouse, as I've mistakenly said on multiple occasions. <laughs> I know. I, I love I love asking him because he never remembers, and it's hilarious. It's it Skrillex. So. <laughs> <laughs> he said that before, too. Aiden tries to be playful with Lydia, but she's not having it. 
He takes credit for the great party, but Lydia says if she wanted to go to a rave, she would have gotten a time machine and gone back to the 90s. Damn, girl. That's a good one. (laughs) Isaac tells Allison that he doesn't like keeping things from Scott, including how he was attacked, even though Allison promised her dad they wouldn't say anything for 24 hours. Except the big secret, that Isaac is in love with him and with Allison. Well, he did tell Scott about the Allison thing. That's true. He just needs to admit that a happy circle is the best solution for this love triangle situation. Yes. Allison says Isaac prefers standing there awkwardly, waiting for someone to notice them, whatever they are. It's frustrating to Allison. In fairness, when he tried to get with you, you told him you would never want to kiss him. We actually like when people listen to what you say you want and don't assume you're saying no, but meaning yes. We love a king who cares about consent. Yes. Isaac asks if she means frustrated sexually. They do have gate chemistry. I think I tried to steal that line because I loved it so much. It's one of my (laughs) favorite lines in the episode. Let's see if they can get from sexual frustration to sexual healing, but not literal. We did that last season. Instead of answering, Allison goes over to the artist and takes off her shirt. Then, turning to Isaac, she asks if he wants to talk about Scott or paint her body. Can we do both? Can I paint a picture of Scott on your body? Can I paint your body while you paint Scott's body and Scott paints my body? It's getting intense. I love it all. Isaac says he wants to paint her body. Once they're both painted up, they dance. Lydia spots them and says, finally. She spots Styles dancing with Caitlin and comments, awkwardly. Then she sees Aiden grinding with two other girls immediately after his conversation with Lydia. Predictably, she says. I also love that moment. Lydia seems listless until she hears a strange chittering sound. Not the point of the scene, but I like her lip color. Yeah. Also, this whole thing is happening predictably, too. Monster shit showing up while they're trying to party. Mm-hmm. Seeing the shadowy figures lurking around the party, flickering into visibility and then back into the surrounding darkness, Lydia starts to panic. She calls for Scott, but he doesn't hear her. So she runs out onto the balcony. This looks like a Blade Runner rooftop. Lydia's going to run into a guy talking about tears in the rain. R.I.P. Roy Batty. To Lydia's horror, one of the creatures rises up out of the shadows on the ground. Oh man, it looks so good. I love this bit. Just so cool. It looks fantastic. Lydia tries to scream, but another of the figures seems to grab the sound and hold onto it in its hand, stealing the sound. Dope as Remember, these are not Dementors. I love Harry Potter as much as the next person, but these guys look cooler than the Dementors. Come at me. She's not wrong. Uh, On the dance floor, Danny approaches Aiden, initially mistaking him for Ethan, which irritates Aiden. Man, you'd think someone that intimately familiar with Ethan's body would be able to tell them apart. Although I guess he's probably been drinking. Maybe he's seeing two of them right now. (laughs) Here's a question, Aiden. Why do you and Danny have such similar paint designs on your bodies when Danny and Ethan are the ones who came together? Mm. Solid point. Yeah, neither Danny nor Aiden has seen Ethan in half an hour, so they decide to go look for him. Meanwhile, Caitlin brings a couple of drinks for herself and Styles. When Styles gets out the mysterious key to use as a bottle opener, Caitlin notices that there's a spot on the key that's glowing and comments that it must have phosphors on it. Styles doesn't immediately respond because Caitlin goes in for the makeout. Girl, the last person he kissed like that did not come out alive. Probably same for her. Yeah. In the script, Ren which is originally the girl that Styles hooked up with instead of Caitlin, says, you're like a Boy Scout. Styles says, well, more like a Man Scout. He does flirt good. <laughs> <laughs> when they come up for air, Styles says he thought Caitlin liked girls. Caitlin says she does. Does he? Styles affirms he absolutely likes girls, then asks if Caitlin likes boys too. She says, absolutely. Does he? Styles stops short of answering. Sexual crisis, sexual crisis. 
Like, how else am I supposed to take this, though? I'm serious. Yeah, there's no way to interpret that in a different way. It's incredibly straightforward. (laughs) Pun intended. But yeah, Styles is by y'all. He just is. Completely. Instead of answering, Styles changes the subject back to phosphors. Caitlin explains that phosphors are luminescent. Styles wonders aloud how he would have gotten phosphors on this key. Caitlin asks if he's been handling chemicals. At first, Styles says no, but then something occurs to him. A terrible thought. With profuse apologies, Styles excuses himself, but only after he's handed Caitlin a full water bottle and instructed her to drink all of it. Aww. Adorbs. That's very thoughtful, Styles. He has such good boyfriend energy. So she tries real hard to get with Styles, like harder, I feel like, in the original episode than those. She keeps kind of getting him to make out with her. And whenever Styles says, those are chemicals, right? She says, yes, as in chemistry, and grabs his shirt, trying to make out with him, like, again. (laughs) (laughs) But he just, like, keeps getting distracted. Sky and Kira go out onto the rooftop together. Kira licks her finger and uses it to get some excess paint off Scott's face. He says he can't believe she just mommed him. And that's the second time after Allison soccer mommed him in season one. That's right. Kira expresses her surprise that Scott is handling this so well. The image of her looks like a demon from hell. Or an Instagram filter. <laughs> Scott says he saw something different. It looks like it's protecting her, like armor. And it doesn't look like a demon. It looks like a fox. Scott is so smart regarding things he pays attention to. So, girls? Yeah. Inside, Isaac and Allison get closer on the dance floor. It looks like he has some paint that continues under his shirt, but that's odd. Yeah, if he got body painted, he wouldn't be wearing a shirt. Also, just to let you guys know, in the original draft, he wipes the paint off of her, but I like it better that she moms him by wiping it off of him. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) the close proximity allows Allison to spot something behind Isaac's ear. It's a quarter. Allison pulls Isaac into a back room to look in the mirror. In the reflection, the marking behind Isaac's ear looks like the number five. Now you guys' paint just looks stupid when it's not under a black light. They hear a sound and discover Ethan shivering on the floor behind the bags of ice, similar to how Isaac was when Allison and Chris found him after the attack. Okay, but it's kind of funny when it happens to one of the twins. Karma. I'm pretty sure Isaac feels the same way. Yep. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) At the same time, Danny finds Lydia in a similar state out on the balcony, nearly hypothermic. And carries her inside and holds her next to heating vent while Danny goes in search of a blanket. Now, in the original script, Lydia's mark is on her scalp, not behind her ear. And it's the same with Ethan and Derek. Is Isaac still behind the ear? Yeah, his seems to still be behind the ear. But she talks about, like, hitting her head. And then she, like, runs her hand over her scalp. And she says she finds it there. Interesting. Remember that. Isaac breaks Ethan's arm to trigger his healing. Also, because it's fun. He does seem to enjoy it. Elsewhere, Derek recovers from his own run-in with the creatures. It's so on brand that Derek is the only one who has to recover alone. Yeah, his newfound lightness doesn't last very long, sadly. Derek roars. Still out on the roof, Scott hears it. Oh shit! Dad's home! We're gonna get our asses whooped. Derek soon returns to the loft, flips over the DJ stand and yells at everyone to get out. I love that one person in the background goes, damn, dude. I mean, he's not wrong. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Everyone leaves except Scott, Kira, Allison, Isaac, the twins, Lydia, and of course, Derek. Ah, this feels very Blade to me. Like the Blade club scene? Yeah. Time for the blood sprinklers! I love the synchronized marching steps that the villains do. The shadow figures close in on Aiden. Scott and Derek spring into action to fight them. Or we could just... See what happens. Derek snaps the neck of one of the creatures. 
but it recovers immediately, unscathed. I love Derek's face there. This whole thing is a great fight scene. Yeah, I love the wire work. Even Isaac joins in on the fight. Just let them do it. Who gives a shit? One of the creatures pulls a sword out of its own chest. Dope. So cool. Nature's pocket. The creature... (laughs) The creature does some complex sword play and Isaac backs away slowly. Yep, that's the right move. Mm-hmm. The creature marks Aiden like they marked Isaac. At the same time, Kira sees Scott's wolf face for the first time. She's like, oh, okay, so this is why the pictures of me didn't freak you out whatsoever. Yep. As the sun rises, the shadow beams dissolve into smoke. Ah, oh, this looks so good. Yeah, it looks excellent. At the Argent's apartment, Chris comes home bloodied and weak. Man, Peter was rough last night. Wow. Always remember there's no shame in safe wording. I wouldn't trust Peter like that. Chris lives on the wild side. Clearly. Allison calls Chris, but he collapses before he can answer the phone. He has a stalker map picture of Allison on his phone too. Aww. (laughs) Having left the party earlier, Styles goes to the chemical storage area at the high school and finds that his mysterious key fits that lock. Oh shit. The plot, it's thickening. That's one thick plot. In the nearby classroom where Styles and Lydia found the message about Kira, Styles approaches the chalkboard. The message is still there. Days after the event for some reason. Yeah, that seems unlikely. Evidence question mark? But it's not marked in any way. There'd be no reason for someone at the school not to erase it. Yeah, there should just be a circle of yellow tape around it on the board. <laughs> that would be funny, actually. I love that. <laughs> Styles writes the same atomic numbers next to the ones from the message about Kira. The handwriting matches perfectly. Styles, what have you done? Tried to get rid of the competition for Scott's attention. Oh, (laughs) I like that. All right, Wolfies, that wraps up the beta section for Illuminated. And now we're about to dive into spoilers, not just for this episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler free for all of the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the alpha. You don't get it, do you? Scott doesn't care about power. He cares about people. You want to be a wolf in his pack? Try being a human in high school. All right, Wolfies. Now we're going to jump over to our interview with Chris Billig, the designer of the Teen Wolf main titles. Let's have a listen. Chris, how did you get into designing main titles? Before the market had crashed, I had shut down a production company that I had been running for the handful of years at that point. I was expecting a son. And uh, and so I kind of knew that I needed to go back. A friend of mine who worked in main titles asked me if I wanted to come and work. And I was like, I don't really know the space, but sure. Like, I would love to come if I can help, if I can be of assistance and help and do that, then yeah, I'm all in. And that's sort of how I transitioned into main title design. Very nice. So how did all of that lead to Teen Wolf? Well, I was working for a company and Blaine Williams called and said, hey, can you do a main title for us where we have this show and it's called Teen Wolf? And I said, yeah, I would I would love to do that. And, and that's how it started. We set up a call and it was Blaine and Jeff and I, and, you know, we sort of talked through the whole, what, what they had done for the first season and what they liked and didn't like and what they were hoping the main title would have been and could be and you know, Jeff came to me with sort of a creative direction of he was inspired by Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, mm-hmm. as I was as well. And I was giddy because I thought maybe MTV would give them the budget to make a main title like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but that was not the case. <laughs> 
And so we ended up making what we made and I thought it was pretty awesome. I thought it turned out really, really well and it was cool. And what I really love about working with Jeff, not just that he has a really high bar and has a very high creative expectation and he wants things to have purpose and meaning, but he really trusts you creatively if you do a good job and, you know, everyone really pulled together. That's the thing about the ecosystem of Teen Wolf is that everyone just came together and said, let's go make something that's like kick ass. And like, mm -hmm. you know, if you saw the behind the scenes sort of images, you would never think that the end result would be what we got, but it was pretty, it was pretty dope. I, I was happy with it. Yeah, no, it, uh, it was a great experience working on those main titles with you because I got to do some great things. What kinds of things? I don't know, buy a kiddie pool for Tyler Hecklin to stand in. <laughs> To collect all the, the talcum powder and baby powder they put on him. What else did I get to do? Oh, I got to spray uh, Tyler Posey with bottles of Dasani, yeah. you know, and then I got to hold a pad for Colton Haynes Colton. to run into, and then he put the two oh. shots together, and it looks amazing. So it was... Uh, you were able to catch Holland too, right? I caught Holland, you know, so yeah. she wouldn't just stumble backwards into the wall and, and all this oh. type of stuff. So yeah, no, Some it was... Some people uh, would give a limb to do any of those things. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty, these it hands, was awesome. people, <laughs> these hands. They've seen greatness. It was pretty awesome because the show had wrapped and everyone was back in LA and people were really excited to be back together and it was the beginning of Teen Wolf and everyone was really excited to just chip in and be flexible and do whatever needed to be done in order to get the stuff. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget Tyler looking at me and, you know, we were talking about like getting to that place where he does that move where like his arms go up and like he turns into the to the werewolf. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember him looking at me and being like, man, I can't get there if I don't have my teeth. And I was like, wait, what do you what do you mean? And he's like, they're in the car, I think, or like someone has them. And I'm like, I, I looked at everyone. I was like, you got to find the teeth. <laughs> You, you have to, like, we have to, we need the teeth, get the teeth. Those kinds of moments to me were just like amazing. You know, getting to that space as an actor of meeting that while literally what Will is saying is correct. Like he's standing in a kiddie pool and he's covered in talcum powder because the idea behind all the shots were we would do these really, really extreme slow-mo shots so we could speed ramp through them. And that's truly what was beautiful about it is you would go into a shot and you'd speed ramp into the shot and you'd let the slow motion kind of play out for a second and then you'd speed ramp into the next shot. And I really enjoyed making the entire sequence because, yeah, we got to play around with a lot of different elements and, and did like some extreme close-ups of ink dividing into cells and stuff like that. But it was really fun to see this like slow-mo style kind of play into it and, you know, for people to get to that space where it, it worked and then we could you know put the whole thing together to be honest i'm really happy that i got to watch will's entire arc in that ecosystem as he like went from being a pa to being a writer it's a beautiful thing thank you that in and of itself is hollywood it's everyone's got a, a weird way of getting there and mine involved shirtless guys with talcum powder but it was teen wolf so that's everything <laughs> yeah but the beautiful thing about Jeff is that every single season after that, he wanted that main title to change and to grow with the show. And that's what I really appreciated is that we came back season after season after season and we made it better and we changed the color palettes and some of the shots that were epic and iconic would stay, but you would pepper in some of these other little like Easter eggs for the fans. We live in a day now where like 
some networks want to have a six second card so they can sell more shampoo. And I get that. That's fine. And I understand that part of it. But like we've gotten to a place where to me, main titles, if you're going to watch them, they should serve a purpose and they should change and they should evolve. And I think that even if you're going to do short main titles that, you know, they should be different because they should be things that people in the audience should be able to like pick up on and want to watch. I mean, it's not lost on me that there is a skip intro button on every one of the streamers now. Teen Wolf is one of the few ones I don't skip. <laughs> yeah, we discussed in an earlier episode, I think that there's a, a common belief amongst fans that people who skip the Teen Wolf main titles are monsters. <laughs> yeah. um, but which monsters? The ones that oh, we don't want to like hang out. Oh, not like fun monsters. Not fun. Oh, okay. They're all cannabis. <laughs> They're all cannabis. Yeah, all a bunch of zeros. Yeah, it's 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 true, Chris, because like your visuals paired perfectly with Dino's score. Like, I mean, like I I cannot think of like too many other instances where that happens, you know, and it's just like the the visuals and the score just get you pumped up for the episode. I just remember we cut it in the beginning. I think the artist who was like working on that part of it, I think he cut it to like some dubstep, dubstep, is that how you dubstep? Dubstep. Dubstep <laughs> track. And it was like, you know, pretty, pretty aggressive and pretty gnarly. But I, but I think that what Dino came up with was awesome. And I think oh, yeah. that like seeing him cut to the visuals and like, and really to create that pacing for us and then for us to like continue to fine tune it. I mean, yeah, I agree. I think it's been awesome to work in tandem. Yeah. Those guys are amazing. I don't ever try to do music because, you know, the music that comes out of these composers is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I think is really cool about the Teen Wolf main titles is that there are parts of it that you won't understand when the season starts. You know, like the Oni mask, you don't know what it's going to mean until you actually start the season and get into the story. Yeah, that's like three episodes into the season before, and and those are, I'm sorry, that's like four episodes into the season before they even appear. So it's, it's great. Or having something like the tree roots in 3A, how they're right at the end of the thing. And you're like, why are we seeing branches or whatever <laughs> why is there a tree here and then it's like it's important to the story you're gonna find yeah. out in like eight episodes again to jeff's credit a lot of that stuff goes into the conversations that are had of hey where are we going this season right like what are some of the themes what are some of the creative themes that we should pull off of you know most of those seasons it wasn't like teen wolf the movie where we have a whole script already and you can kind of read through and kind of see where it's going to go but then it's also understanding like the visuals of what do they look like and all that kind of, it's fun to have that creative conversation so that you can begin to understand just what little Easter eggs you should pull. That segues pretty perfectly into our next question. What was the approach like in coming up with the details for the theme sequence for each season? I, I know you mentioned working with Jeff and hearing about some of the story elements, but would Jeff say something like there should be an Oni mask or would it be more like we're going into Japanese mythology and we're going to have these villains, you know, what do you think would be a good visual element to incorporate? Like what would that collaboration look like? The thing that I always love about Jeff is that he really wants you to own your own creative. And I think that that's a beautiful thing. He's always willing to say like, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's where we're going. There's always great conversations about here's the color palette or like go look at the art department sketches of like what we're doing this season and start to like, you know, look at those. I would walk through the rooms with Tom and 
some of the other people that worked in that department throughout the years. And you talk to set deck, like Brandy and like some of the people that were doing that, like you just sort of start to get a flavor for what it was and where you were going. And for instance, the season that we ended up going, that season, they ended up in Mexico, right, Will? Where season we turned four. everything like gold four. and, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, the gold and there were the red touches with mm-hmm. the red string with Dylan and all that kind of stuff. And then to start try to pick and choose little tiny elements that could be like accentuating you know, this whole entire thing. But that was the other thing too, is like, as the seasons progress and you shoot more stuff every year and every year and every year, there's also this notion of like, Jeff looking at you and being like, no, we're not losing that shot. We're not losing that shot. We're not losing that shot. So it's trying to figure that out creatively as well of like, what could stay and what could go. And it's not that it's like a complex puzzle that you can't figure out because you don't want it to just be this like, ongoing mashup either right like Mm -hmm. there has to be a purpose to everything yeah and so that's what we would really like fight towards is like trying to create like okay what is it that we can slide into this season that really makes it cohesive and nice but still at the same time allows us to honor some of the elements that we've already shot and we don't want to lose yeah that's interesting what's your favorite part of the title design process i love like the creative get together right like the whole beginning i mean some people come and they have a very specific like this is what the main title is and you know i enjoy working with those people because they can be very direct and stuff like that but you know when you work with people that really want you to come and like bring your best to the table and just say like watch the pilot you know read the script you know here are some images here's a lookbook, here's where we're going. You know, when you start to get into that kind of a project and you start to talk about duration and, you know, how many credits do we have and what are we doing here and what are we doing there? It's a, it becomes a lot to just try to like sort of figure out like, okay, this is what it is, right? And then you have to start to talk about like, are we going to pitch live action? Are we going to pitch animation? You know, now things have gotten like super CG and 3D. And, you know, if you've watched some of these, you know, recent ones where they're like, flying through like Westworld is a good example of that, where it's just like all CG and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, those, those and I think Game of Thrones is the, like, if you ever watch that one, it's mm-hmm. like a map where they're flying through and yeah. they would change the map based on like where they were going for the episode. And, you know, a lot of people didn't pick up on some of that stuff for a really long time, which I think is unique and interesting, but it's like so CG heavy mm-hmm. that it's just all built in computers. So to me, like finding... An approach like, do you want the cast in there? Or do you not want the cast in there? Do you want it to be, you want it to tell a story? Is it short? Like there's so many different components at this point to trying to like figure this out, you know, and, and what it should be. That That's the process that I think is really, really fun. I mean, you know, you go in and like, they may have an idea, they may not. And you just have to come in and you have to kind of sit down and figure out like, well, what is it that you would want to pitch? Mm-hmm. And I try to pitch things that are like, that give it a soul, that give it mm-hmm. purpose, that give it like to try to breathe some life into it so that there's something that matters. Fantastic. So were you on the set when the filming took place for that main title sequence? Well, yeah, I mean, Will let me come to set so that I could, yeah, no, I was there. <laughs> I was there to direct the whole thing. And then every single season as we would do these shoots, I would direct the, the shoots actually. You know, Teen Wolf has been really good to me. I mean, Teen Wolf is the reason why I got into the DGA. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. the, they're the whole purpose that I got in the director's guild. So I very much appreciate Joe and Karen and everything that they've done for me throughout the years. Even though it's, you know, working on the show is also you give a, a pound of your own flesh in order to participate. So, <laughs> yeah, 
there's a cost but it's it's worth it it's worth it i think were you ordering well like more water, less talcum powder, <laughs> <laughs> bigger kiddie pool. That kiddie pool was hard to find. I had to go to multiple <laughs> Toys R Us's. Well, because it was and summer. Well, it you was think summer, it, wasn't it? Well, yeah, but you'd think it's summertime or where? It's Los Angeles. It's always pool yeah. time. So it's like there should be pools anywhere. It's like there are no pools in no. the valley today. <laughs> Well, you've worked on so many amazing main titles for different shows. Do you have a favorite? And why is it Teen Wolf? <laughs> <laughs> we promise we won't tell if it's no. Not you know, it's funny because, like, I mean, Teen Wolf is very special to me, and I, you know, and the reason why Teen Wolf is special to me is because every single season I was able to come back over and over and over again. So creatively, you know, and and I think what I spoke to before with like Brad and Jeff and some of the people that I've worked with over the years, it's like, I really love people that, you know, they have a really high bar and they have a really high bar of creative, like a creative expectation mm -hmm. as to where we're going to get. And that fuels you to want to do your best yeah. and to always want to like come and to, and to participate. And so, you know, some main titles turn out better than others, obviously, but like, but I think with Team Wolf, Team Wolf is one of those that I love over all the years because you kind of you get to hone it in and hone it in and hone it in. And, you know, I, and I feel like, you know, it's funny when before the movie, Jeff and I were talking and he said, man, we should have redone the main titles the last season. We shouldn't have just like changed it to being footage. He's like, we should have we should have just redone it and just and just took the time, taken the time yeah. to like. And, you know, and it's funny because I feel the same way, but there's nothing we can do now, but that's like, but what I love about Jeff is that, is that there isn't anything we can do to change it now, but it still sticks with him. And it's still, it's one of those things where he's like, and I, I don't like it. I don't, I don't, you know what I mean? And so it's like, so that, that's what I love. And I appreciate that. I mean, I think the honorable woman was that way. I got to work with Hugo Blick, who was a great writer, director, and I don't know. I mean, I've worked on so many of these at this point. My kid was asking me the other day how many main titles I've worked on, and I don't even know. What, and he started counting, and I said, just stop. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's stopped. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was on your IMDb page, and it was mind-blowing. And, and, and I appreciate it, and it's been really, really fun to participate in this part of the business. How did your approach to the Teen Wolf main titles compared to some of these other shows that you've designed, something like Orange is the New Black, which is such an iconic main title sequence. You know, they had an idea as far as like Regina Spector was going to sing the song and this whole idea of using like actual people. So like the people were sourced through like Homeboy Ministries and then shot and then cut up into strips. And then there are actually some uh people from the show i was only involved in that on the first season i don't know if that title sequence changed i don't, think it, ever changed. I don't think it ever changes now it was the same for homeland like i did the first season of homeland and then subsequently changed throughout the years but um really what it is is you have to go into it and you have to like you have to really think about like what is it that the show needs and what speaks to you right like how does it speak to you in that way do you have a favorite genre to work on i mean i think darker stuff is typically more creative but that's not always true like there are great comedies throughout the years that you know you you meet with people and it's like 
they have a really great insight into like what what it is that they're looking for. I just think that like the setup for the shows are different, right? So it's like some of the shows, they just need a quick pop intro and then they're right into the show, right? And I respect that and I get that. But I think that if the main title can serve a purpose, go for it and try to figure out what it is that you can do to create content for however many seconds you get. That's great. It's, it's yeah. interesting that it just depends on the show and the story being told. Cause like one of my all time favorite shows is, is lost and it has just a title card, you know, where it's just the word lost coming out of the darkness. And then the camera travels through the O and that's the end of it. But then also like game of Thrones is fantastic too, you know, so they're completely different, but at least with game of, you know, like you were saying game of Thrones or like some shows have like a purpose in the titles and game of Thrones, cause it takes place all over this fantasy world. It's like the titles are actually showing you where you're going to be that week. So if you're paying attention to the titles, it kind of shows you the relationships to everything. I have such a hard time appreciating a show that doesn't have a main title sequence. Like all of my favorite shows, I think back and they have t- title sequences and just hearing like the song or music that goes along with it will like stir up emotion. I don't know. I just have a hard time appreciating shows that don't have title sequences. I just feel like it's such an important part. Yeah, I I, I find if a TV show just has a title card and not a main title sequence, I feel unfulfilled. <laughs> I just feel emotionally unfulfilled. Well, thank you. <laughs> I truly, truly I do. You holding, holding on to our art form. I, I, I will say, though, that there are some theme sequences that I'm like, uh, I'll skip it. <laughs> but some of them I'm like, don't you, don't you hit that skip intro button. You know how I feel. So who on the Teen Wolf set would make the best alpha? I mean, that's easy. That's Jeff. Like, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, is the, Jeff is the alpha on that set. I mean, he is the person that's like, I mean, he has literally moved this entire thing forward and, you know, has held on to the creative the entire time. There's not a part of that project that he hasn't stayed up at night over in order to make sure that it gets done. Definitely have to appreciate his dedication to it. Everyone we've spoke to that worked on the show has always commented on just how dedicated he was to the show. I mean, it's true. Like when you can look at the leaders who put so much of their lives into something, you know, it's easy to follow. It's easy to respect. It's easy to get into that creative march with them and say, I'll do anything you need because they live it every day. He's not a guy that was like at four o'clock was like, all right, see you guys later. (laughs) Well, at 4 a.m. maybe. (laughs) I mean, there are so many times when the writer is pulled a very late night, like we were reaching midnight or something. And we're like, all right, we're finally done for the day. Let's go home. And and just like, I'll see you tomorrow. And then you just hear tap, 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 tap on the keyboard (laughs) from his office because he's working. He's he's he just doesn't know how to turn off sometimes, which is good because the show was brilliant <laughs> so you know blood sweat and tears but it was it was worth it you need someone that will hold at that level and man he sustained it for a long time oh yeah 100 episodes and a movie so there wow. you go so you also worked on the main title design for the maze runner starring Dylan Bryan. can you tell us a little bit about working on that project I'll tell you that Wes Ball is incredible. Like he's an incredible director. And like that dude is an, is another Jeff Davis in the sense that like he, he would stay up all night doing the actual visual effect shots. And he would literally take them home and try to make them better. And I think that like, you know, he's a guy that has an incredible bar. I mean, the thing that we pitched Wes was trying to create a font 
that was similar to the movie. And so that's why everything comes together the way that it does. And, you know, you have that in the opening sequence. The thing that was really fun about that, though, is um, hey, David McKimmy, maybe David McKimmy. Yeah, I think so. But anyways, uh, called us and said, hey, we're having trouble with these dream sequences. Can you help us with the dream sequences? And that's what really what I enjoyed making on that movie, actually, were the nice. dream sequences of like, taking all this footage and like cutting it up and trying to make it really frenetic and you know really crazy and that part was really really fun and some of those artists that worked on those dream sequences ended up being key artists that worked on Teen Wolf as well so oh really yeah that's awesome that's That's yeah me either me either well you've already talked about a little bit but are you working on the main titles for the Teen Wolf movie I am, in fact, working on the main titles for the Teen Wolf movie, so Fantastic. Uh, they are they are very fun. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say about the main titles for the movie, but I will tell you that Jeff wanted them to be epic and different, and so we have changed the style of the main title, so very it cool. will be a brand new look and feel when the movie comes out. Wow. That's exciting. That's exciting. Oh, yeah. Very exciting. Yeah, I'm excited about it. They're gonna. I think it's really cool, and it is a very large shift from everything that we did, that we did in the television show. So. Oh, okay. Well, now I'm super curious and can't wait for yeah, January to get intrigued. here. You had mentioned that Jeff expressed regret about just using footage for the sequence in season six. Was there a reason that he just chose to go that route, or? I mean, to be honest, like you know, at the end of a show, you're just overwhelmed with everything you're trying to get done. So it's like. You know, you're trying to get finished with limited budgets and, you know, because they're like all of that stuff takes a lot of work to like get to the end. Right. And, you know, some of that stuff you can maneuver through different seasons and all that kind of stuff. But when there's a hard stop, there's a hard stop. And so I think for him, that's it. Like it's it's over at that point. So I think you just naturally you just you got to pick what you can get done and you're just so overwhelmed that it's like, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. I mean, to sustain something for that long is a lot of work. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> when I talk to showrunners, like su- successful showrunners, you know, some of them are like, you know, I've, I've got like five shows in me. Because if you think about it, it's like if you're going to do five shows for five seasons, it's a lot of years of your yeah. life that you're going to work on different projects. So you start to get really picky about what it is that you're going to do yeah if you could be any teen wolf creature what would you be weren't they called dread doctors isn't that what yeah dread doctors season five season was super fun and i like the visuals that went along with that season no absolutely a really cool look about them the title sequence for that season is my favorite one because i i love all of it but i just absolutely love the final shot that basically the executive producer card that comes yeah. at the very end and it's 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 the lead dread doc there's like a gurney and someone there's like a, an operating table and someone laying on it the gurney's and the uh dread doctor's just walking away from it in slow motion like he's done his work and yeah. all of that and uh, i just love that shot it's it's so good other than the teen wolf movie are there any upcoming projects you can tell us about chris you know the project that i just worked on i, I worked with this uh, director, writer, director, Hugo Blick from England a, bon- a couple of times now, and he's delightful and creatively he's amazing. But he did this uh, miniseries with Emily Blunt called The English that comes out on November 11th. We did a main title, an animated main title um, that I'm really proud of, and I think it turned out really nice. It's a really great 
mini series. So check it out. Well, Chris, this has been an absolute pleasure getting yes. to talk to you and to take a, a stroll down memory lane back to Beacon Hills because we all adore this show. And Team Wolf is very important to all of us. And so we have been very lucky so far to talk to an amazing group of people who all worked on the show and who got to help create something that we all love and that people still love. Like, I mean, when the movie was announced, the internet broke, you know, and we are very happy to be talking to you about it. I have been honored to participate in this ecosystem because the fans really are pretty amazing. And the way that they come and find you and and the way that that show impacts them and the questions that they have and you know it it's it's always a very delightful interaction whenever people find me on social media or you know find where whatever the I don't read a lot of the internet stuff but um but when it comes to like people coming and finding me uh that part of it I always you know if they write me an email or somebody dms me or they have questions about the show like it's always really just like a fun conversation to have um, because they're so excited about the content. And I think that's what's really cool is it's like, they're just, it's, it's a great experience. And I think it's, I think it's cool that, you know, forever we will have all participated in this world that got created. So, yeah. So thank you. We had a great time talking with Chris, but now it's back to spoilers. It seems like starting with this episode, the season just races for it. Like it's just a big turn in the story. Yeah, definitely. Just turns into an avalanche of story after this. The bit with Caitlin and the water bottle shows what a good boyfriend Styles can be, which we see later with Malia. He's good boyfriend material. Yeah. Just needs that big spoon. <laughs> Derek would be so happy together, guys. They would be. I also liked him with Malia. It's like Kate's stance. If you just don't think too hard about her childhood, they're really cute together. I just don't like it when the show reminds me of the fact that she spent literally half her life in the form of an animal, not yeah. getting sex ed or any other kind of education. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, mind is she still, like, she wasn't like an animal, but... You know, I kind of think it could be like, we see flashback Derek maybe slash Peter as a teen in the visionary. But I could see like Derek having been that awkward if he was like raised just like primarily among pack members and other mm-hmm. werewolves where he was just like super blunt and everything. And I, you know, I like that idea of Malia just being raised maybe as like among pack members where it's like normal behavior just to be blunt and mm-hmm. everything and not pick up on a lot of social cues and everything. And I, I like that idea a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I it like just it wasn't from eight to 16, she was a literal animal. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the idea of there being cultural differences. It's kind of what we said before about the girl Derek thing. Mm-hmm. Derek is kind of socially awkward and blunt and not good at reading the room yeah you know we do kind of see that with him but he knows how to like pass as like human and like be charming like person that like you know people expect him to be Uh I don't necessarily know that Malia can do that that's true like she knows how to do the sexy dance but I feel like that's kind of just her enjoying the music not necessarily knowing like this is what people like walk up and seduce a guy yeah I think she would just be like would you like to go put your genitals upon my genitals <laughs> somewhere? The guy's like, I mean, yes, but also what? <laughs> but also, could we just use, I mean, yes, that is technically what we do, but 
I mean, could you buy me dinner first or yeah. something? So it's like that bit in the the trailer for um, She-Hulk when she's like on a date with a guy and she transforms and just lifts him up and takes him into the bedroom. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, okay. I'm not mad at this. Yeah. I do think though that even Derek's charming persona is very flat. Yeah. I mean, he can rely mostly on his looks. He knows that people react to that. I mean, if you think about the moment with the deputy in season two, he says something like, sorry, I was just distracted because I didn't expect you to be so beautiful, which is like, it just sounds like a very cliche line that yeah. he found in a book or yeah. something. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't feel natural. And I think that that makes sense because as you said, Calissa, it is something that he's turning on. It's not yeah. naturally who mm-hmm. he is. Right. This wouldn't have necessarily gone in the spoiler section, but I was just curious. Do you know why they decided to go back to the character of Caitlin as opposed to having just a new random girl? I don't remember. The only thing that would pop in my head is that we knew that she was available and, you know, getting an established character back. But I mean, like nothing changes with her. Like, you know, like if it's Ren or Caitlyn, it's like everything still plays the same. We just don't have the girlfriend stuff. The only thing I can think of is we discover that Zelda was available. And it's like, hey, let's do that. I mean, I love Zelda Williams. I just was curious. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of a reason why, because I had forgotten about that. I'd forgotten that it was a totally different character until you brought it up. And so that's the only thing I can think of, because there's no story reason for it. But it does allow for that delightful conversation about sexual orientation so it does does. i mean yes it would have been tragic to not have that yeah i have no complaints i was just curious if there was a reason or if you guys ever thought about maybe bringing her back another time because this is the last time we see her it is the last time i do not remember honestly but what i do remember is some of the development process for the oni when we were kind of in the conceptual phases of these creatures the Nazgul from the Lord of the Rings film were kind of a, a a big inspiration especially like seeing like the the black wisps of smoke coming off the Oni like our inspiration for that was when Frodo puts on the ring and sees the Nazgul in the ring world and they all are it's kind of like white streaks coming off them as if there's a very powerful wind pulling them all apart and that was kind of the starting point with the Oni but turning it all black and creepy and scary so you were telling me it was a room full of nerds. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Was there anyone doing what I would have been doing, which is quietly pulling up a stream of Lord of the Rings on their phone under the table because they don't remember what the Nazgul look like when the ring is on? That was 100% be me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure <laughs> there were. Yeah, yeah, we all equally remember exactly what that looked like. Yep. What's the Wi-Fi in here? I'm sure there were. I'm sure there were. So, but it was fun. That's the fun part. You get to revisit all the stuff. Well, they look great. Yes, they do. Yes. They do absolutely look great. And hey, Betsy, if you're listening to this, an interesting fact about the fight scene at the end of this episode is that's Oni number three right there in front. So Oni number yes. three is the best Oni. We all yeah. know this. Once you go three, you never go free. No, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Thanks, I try. That concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. Join us here next week when we discuss Season 3, Episode 17, Silverfinger. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodies. Five-star reviews get a shout-out. Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills.
students speak in hills.